You are listening to Go, Go, Stop, Go, a show about major events, issues, and turning points in people's lives. I'm your host, Jay Badenhope. Today you'll hear me talk with Nancy Lublin, an accomplished entrepreneur who is now the founder and CEO of the tech nonprofit Crisis Text Line. I didn't know Nancy before meeting with her in Silicon Valley in July. You'll hear me introduce her and then myself as part of our conversation, so I won't repeat that now. I'll just say Nancy kept it real and kept it fun. There's some salty language in this episode, so if you're around children, you may want to switch to headphones. Here's my conversation with Nancy Lublin. Sitting here with Nancy Lublin, and you correct me if I get anything wrong or anything you want to amplify. Um, Nancy is the founder and CEO of Crisis Text Line. It's a free nationwide 24 7 text line for people in crisis. She's worn some other hats, though. She's also been the CEO of DoSomething.org. She's been a founder and CEO of Dress for Success. She's written three books, and she's also given a TED Talk about her work that's been viewed nearly a million times. Not too shabby. Welcome, Nancy. And I have two kids. That's a big deal. I have two kids as well. Yeah, but I push mine out of my body. Yeah, I, I can't say that. No, <laughs> I can't. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that that just belongs on the list of accomplishments up, up somewhere near the top. And, and you have a husband, I'm guessing? Yeah, I think I read that. too, but he didn't push them out of his body either. He, he, his part was much more fun. Yeah, basically zero credit. Yeah, exactly. Well, some credit. He's a good dad. He's good. That's good. I want to talk about Crisis Text Line, but before that, I want to get a little bit more of, of your origin story. Where, where did you grow up? I grew up in Hartford, Connecticut. Tell me, tell me, tell me what that was what it's like. Not much to say. Um, it, at the time, it was the insurance capital of the world. So um, it was a lot of uh, children of people who worked at insurance companies. It's the kind of place where I went to the same elementary school that my father went to and had the same principal even for a year. Um, and my grandparents lived around the corner, and I could walk to their house from school. And um, it's that kind of a place. It is not the kind of place... I'm an entrepreneur, and I think I was born this way. And so I felt very out of place f- for those first two decades of my life in West Hartford. And were your I don't know parents or grandparents involved in insurance? What what kinds of things did they do? No, my they were my father was a lawyer, and my mom was a homemaker, and it was a they actually like each other. They're still married. You know, it was like a very nice at a yard, and I you know played soccer after school and. Um, I had a very nice, comfortable life, and I thought that I was going to grow up to, my options were either doctor, teacher, or lawyer. That was kind of what I saw and what was presented to me, and and here I am. (laughs) Very cool. Um, I think I might have already broken a promise. I think I was going to tell you a bit about myself as well. I'm starting this podcast project inspired by a couple things. One is I I always had a bit of a dream to just sit down and talk to people and and make that a thing. But specifically, I'm now wanting to talk to people about dealing with like difficult life situations or people who are helping people deal with difficult life situations. And for me specifically, I lost my mom about a year ago. And I realized that even after 
um, getting into like therapy and a grief group and reducing my work schedule, being married with two kids and working full time, I, I totally got overwhelmed and hit a wall and I, and I needed to, to take a bit of a break. And this has been a thing that's been meaningful for me. I've been recording a lot of conversations with people who knew my mom and that's been really meaningful. In fact, I drove a couple hours out of town yesterday to, to talk to someone who taught with my mom in Spain back in the 60s. Oh, that's so neat. That's awesome. What a great way to process your grief. That's terrific. Yeah, and um, one of the people that I've been having a series of conversations with, he he's, has a bit of a tough story. He's feeling a lot better now, though. He's going through a divorce. Um, he's had a serious health issue that prevents him from doing his work. Um, he's trained as an accountant, and he can't work at computers anymore. Um, and I was going to have another call with him at one point. He's like, well, I, I, I'm busy in the middle of the day because I'm volunteering for this thing. And I'm like, well, what's what's this thing? And he's like, well, it's, it's crisis text line. I, I can't use computers, but I can still text. And I'm like, well, what's, what's crisis text line? And so he was, he was telling me a bit about that. And that was, I was like, oh, let me dig into this. And that was why I reached out to you and was just curious to hear a bit of your story. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, he is still using a computer if he's volunteering for us because it's on a, it, you have to do it on a desktop. The texters are texting in, but our volunteers who are incredible people, much like your friend, um, yeah, are doing it on desktops and they're amazing. I mean, you're talking to strangers in their most dire moments um, and we're basically just a, a big empathy machine. Um, it's like a giant love machine. It's, um, you know, we're here for people in their darkest moments without judgment. That's, that's really great. I'm jumping around a little bit. You mentioned growing up that you felt a little bit out of place. You felt like you're, you're an entrepreneur. You, you clearly know that now. I'm wondering, as you were growing up in insurance land, if there were signals that, or, or I don't know, moments of epiphany where you, you sort of got a signal of what you wanted to become when you grew up. Well, I mean, I think as a child, you have all kinds of wild uh, notions of what you want to be when you grow up. I wanted to win Wimbledon. Um, that that's not going to happen. Um, I, I think no. One, the Williams sisters have that unlock. And um, and I wanted to be the CEO of Disney for a while. But I think more there were these inklings growing up. My parents looked at me. I, uh, you know, at one point in time, I was like, oh, China's on the opposite side of where we live. I'm going to dig to China, which I think a lot of kids have had that notion. But I dug a very, very large hole in the backyard. How large? Like I could stand in it. Um, like I was really, I was on my way to China um, and landscapers had to be called. Um, yeah, I was, I was like getting at roots of things. I was, yeah, I was in the, in the ground. And, um, and then I, I started like a nuclear freeze club in high school. There were just all kinds of weird things that I was doing along the way. And I think my parents looked at me and said, or looked at each other and said, how is this girl going to support herself and who is going to marry her? And what is she, what is her life going to be like? She's really a little weird. And I was. I was just kind of a weird kid. And so no one knew how to spell entrepreneur at the time. That was not a thing in the 70s and 80s. And so um, instead, everyone said I was going to be a lawyer because I had a lot of opinions and was very extroverted and was a girl. So that must mean I was going to be a lawyer because that was really the only outlet for a girl like that then. Um, and then people like Richard Branson came along and and then you had all these tech entrepreneurs, and then all of a sudden it was the thing. There was this thing called an entrepreneur that I was just kind of organically doing, not because it was cool, but just because I was constantly trying to create things and solve things. And um, it's so strange to me now that you can study this in college. You can get a graduate degree in entrepreneurship um, that people say, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be an entrepreneur, where for most of my life I tried to shed this and fit in. And most of my life, you know, so I went to law school. I mean, most of my life I tried to 
um, make everybody happy and toe the line or just lead groups. And, um, and I was uncomfortable standing out. And now we celebrate the nail that stands out instead of trying to hammer it in. It's, a, it's, um, it's still a bit of an adjustment for me. I'm thinking of like lemonade stands and things. What was the, do you know, like what was the first time you like made a dollar or started a thing? I, I know you're like nonprofit, so maybe that's not your motivation. Yeah, no, that wasn't the very first thing my parents talked about was actually in preschool, that there was a boy in preschool who declared that purple was a boy color. And so I apparently liberated the purple crayons. I grabbed all of them. You know, they were Crayola, so they were called like lavender and aubergine and all the fun names. And I grabbed them in my fists, crawled under the table, and then ran around the room with them over my head screaming, I've got the purple, and was inconsolable. And my parents had to be called to school. And it was like, okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I was kind of a Crayola warrior. And so my, my social justice and this is not right, so I'm going to fix it. And instead of going to the teacher and saying, hey, I like coloring with purple. Can I please have the purple? I've never really been a tattletale. I've always been a fixer. And that's really what an entrepreneur is. It's not someone chasing a dollar. It's someone chasing a solution. And I've always just chased solutions. Very cool. I think I read a stat that 80% or so of people using crisis text line are under 25, so a lot of teens are using it. I'm wondering, as you as you look at what you're seeing come across on crisis text line, are there any teen challenges you particularly relate to from your teen experience? Oh, that's a great question. No one's asked me that. Um, so yeah, 75% of our users are under age 25, including a full 11% under age 13. And 30% um, of the messages are about suicide and depression. That's our most common um and then after that it's anxiety a lot of anxiety and then self-harm and family issues um and so some of it i i definitely relate to i mean um, but some of it being a teen today and a young person today is very different um, i didn't know anybody who self-harmed um and now we have about one in ten of our texters um during depending on the season self-harms so it is talking about self-harm so no i i do think it's different um, I think they see this stuff more. I also think they're more comfortable talking about and even thinking about mental health. I don't know that I, when I was 14, I knew the phrase mental health. I don't think it was something that we just, we talked about. Um, so, no, I, I actually think it's very different. Why do you think it is different today than, than when you were a kid? I think there's a lot more sharing. I didn't have any mechanisms for sharing. I guess I could write letters. Remember the old airmail stationery, the thin paper that you would fold three times? Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. There, there, there wasn't as much sharing. There wasn't as much content in the world. There was ABC, CBS, and NBC, and that was it. And then we demanded that we wanted our MTV, but there wasn't sharing. And then we got into this mode where on MTV and reality TV shows, there were confessionals, right, where you shared your feelings. And then there was social media where you shared everything, um, you know, photos of things, feelings, events happening in real time. And we're just a much more sharing, open world than we ever were. Um, you keep in touch with more people than you ever did. So there's just more people to talk to. It used to be that you graduated from high school and you really didn't see those people again. And now you still see them every day on Facebook. Um, it's just a very different world. And so this rising generation gives me hope. Um, they talk about, they do share, and they talk about feelings and they talk about their mental health a lot. And um, that aspect of all of the sharing, I think is a much healthier way to be for society. Sometimes I get the feeling though on, on sometimes on social media, you, you have a lot of like 
the, all the happy faces put forward and the facade, like everything's awesome all the time. And I, I'm just wondering, like, sometimes when I've talked to people about this project, they say, oh, it's great because people aren't talking about, about their problems. I think, I, I think that's right. According to Facebook, everyone's child is perfect. Um, no one ever posts a picture of their child having a temper tantrum or, you know, bringing home a bee. So, um, <laughs> um, but I think younger people are sharing. Younger people are sharing that they had a bad day. Younger people are sharing their emo playlist. Um, younger people are sharing when they're frustrated or pissed off. Um, sometimes they ask. In fact, I just saw today someone in, in my feed who's younger who I'm friends with said, I had a hard day. Can you please give me some, um, some puppies? And so everybody in the comments thread was just sharing really cute puppy photos. Um, so, no, I think they're much more open and, and honest. I think they're more brave in a weird way than, than our generation. I'm assuming we're in the same generation. You got yeah. a little bit of gray in your beard. Yeah, yeah. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. That little bit of gray in your beard is a tell. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's accurate. Uh, I, I looked you up on LinkedIn. I think we graduated from college within like a year or two of each other. I'm also curious um, because I'm like one of the themes overall that I'm thinking about is like turning points in your life. So for me, with the passing of my mom, a silver, big silver lining of it is because it was so hard, it really caused me to reflect on like my day-to-day and my approach to things. And I had to start to reflect and, and not just like keep, you know, going on the hamster wheel or whatever. I'm wondering like what, what have been some big turning points in your life? Oh gosh, um, big turning points. I think loss is definitely a turning point in a lot of people's lives. I had when I was younger, there was a big, um, a cousin who was my age, who was only a couple of months younger than me. And and her mother um, died in the same boating accident. And that was uh, a real wake up in just the sixth grade that life is not permanent. Um, and that was a bit of a shock um, that really set things, um, that, that just, I grew up quickly. Um, I had a different level of awareness. Um, that was kind of a big turning point. Um, you know, uh, I, I was joking before about giving birth to my kids. I had a very challenging childbirth with my daughter. Um, she, I was severely preeclamptic and and um, and was induced very early. And then even when she was born, she was born with a cord around her neck. And so um, she almost didn't make it, and I almost didn't make it. So that was kind of a double whammy. Um, and that one showed me how strong I am too. Um, so I think it's the not just the incidents themselves. It's what do you process from them? What does it make you realize? I, I think the events that are those milestones in our life are the match. And the real question is, what does it ignite? And um, so it's not the event itself, it's your reaction to it. Because the event itself, we don't control. In life, all we control are our own actions and our own words. And so I think that what really sets us in a path is those choices we make for actions and words and how we control those things. which is really guides me. Like all I can do in life is make sure that my own actions and words are um, the best that they can be and true to my heart. And if I make a mistake, do I take an action or word to correct them? And that's all I can. That's all I can promise in this life. I mean, that truly is nothing else. When you when you think about controlling your actions, I mean, also that flows from thoughts and staying in touch with your emotions are, are there things that you do that help you stay grounded things you do around self-care it's so funny I also didn't really know the phrase self-care before coming to crisis text line and this has been a real learning curve for me I don't meditate 
I'm not great about regular exercise. I'm not, I don't read that often. All of these things that everyone says, I'm, I'm a terrible eater. Ter I mean, it's just a joke what I eat. Um, and I'm, I make efforts on all of those fronts, except meditation. I'm not really interested in meditation. I am happiest when I'm busy. I am happiest when I have six different balls in the air and I'm juggling them. Um, but I've chosen those. And um, yeah, I've, I've designed my life this way. I've realized the people who are like, you just, you need a break. You deserve a break. Go read a book and go on the beach. I hate those vacations. I, I, that's not, I really like going to a new city. A few years ago, my husband and I went to Rome for a long weekend and just walked. We had gelato six times in four days. And which to me, that's a great four days. And, and we just walked the whole city. And that was awesome. I like, I'm a city kid. I like it when it's busy. I like exploring. I like people. I, I guess I'm a true extrovert and then I get my energy from other people. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't sleep much. I sleep about five, six hours a night. Um, every once in a while, like I would say like once a week, I, I crash and sleep for, I, I, I like don't, I'm gone for 12 hours. But um, yeah, I don't have a self-care routine. I don't recommend this. I'm not, like, I'm not bragging and I'm not, uh, I'm not necessarily proud of this. It's just, it's just who I am. And um, I think the more important thing is that I know it. And so, and that the people in my life know, like, don't pressure me to go read a book. But I think what I'm hearing is you get a lot of energy out of the self-directedness and the fact that you've been able to choose a path from grabbing the purple crayon so that they're available to you to, to choosing this path with your work. I mean, you, you've created this organization and you're running it. I, I like my life. I've designed my life this way. And if I didn't, I would make changes. I, oddly, I'm not a control freak. Um, you would think, and people I think assume that entrepreneurs are control freaks and that they have pack, picked this path because they can't work with others or they want to design things. Um, I delegate a lot and let go completely of projects. If there's another alpha in the room, I am thrilled. It's actually really nice to not have to be in charge. Um, yeah, I, I've made choices. Look, I, I don't earn a ton of money. I could. I went to a lot of fancy schools for a long time and I speak a decent amount of Japanese. I could have picked another path. Um, and you know, then maybe my kids wouldn't be sharing a bedroom on a bunk bed in that bedroom. That's how small it is. Um, and my parents would be thrilled because my parents look at my lifestyle and think, really? Um, I love my life and I designed it this way. And yeah, I don't, I don't think that money and some of those other trappings equate happiness. I've got meaning and purpose in my life. I have good people in my life. Um, if you're not a good person, if you're, if you're an asshole, I'm just not interested in you. I'm not vengeful. I just, the worst thing I have for you is indifference. And I just, I'll just cut you out. I, I don't have space for that in my life. I pick very carefully. Makes sense. You mentioned your education. You also talked about going to Rome. I'm, I'm curious to ask about your time because you, I saw you studied in Oxford. And for me, my mom, I mentioned my mom teaching in Spain and she taught overseas for seven years in Asia and Europe before I was born. And I definitely got the travel bug from her and I ended up studying in Austria for a year and worked in the Netherlands for three. So I'm just curious, um, how, how was that experience at Oxford and, and what do you think about travel overall? I mean, maybe that's my self-care. I haven't thought about this before. That's a good point. But I do think that seeing that it's a big, broad world, I think... Um, seeing the ocean or an expansive plain or wildlife is so important to remind you just how small and insignificant each of us is. Um, 
which is funny from again from an entrepreneur who believes that I actually have the power to make a difference in people's lives and to, that I can build companies but I I still have the humility to recognize that there's like a bigger vaster plan and I'm part of I'm just a small piece of this massive earth and life cycle so um yeah I love traveling and so I've lived abroad a couple of times and um there's so much to learn. We actually have a sabbatical program that I put in place at Crisis Tech Sign, and I have in place a, I put in place when I was at Do Something also. After you work there for two years full time, you can take one month paid leave to volunteer anywhere in the world, as long as you come back for another year full time. And there's actually one of our social workers from Crisis Tech Sign is in Nepal right now working in an orphanage. She brought her children and her husband. They had to get passports in order to go. And so her first big international trip was getting to Kathmandu and then from Kathmandu a few hours from there out to, you know, rural Nepal. Um, and I can see just from the things she's posting on Instagram how, like, calm and peaceful and how much she's learning. It's amazing. I want to go back to, to a thing you said. You talked about... Um, the motivation for you as an entrepreneur, it's not about chasing money, it's about the bigger purpose. And uh, I, I did watch your TED talk a couple times and there was a line in there that stood out. Um, let's see, I think I even have it over here. I don't know if, if you wanna read it again or you want me to read it. Uh, yeah, the only difference really between me and those people in hoodies down the road with their fat funded companies is that I'm not inspired by helping you find Chinese food at 2 a.m. in Dallas or helping you touch your wrist and get a car immediately or swipe right and get laid. I'm inspired, and everyone laughed. Um, yeah, I was inspired by using all the stuff to make the world a better place. It's true. The real story behind that is that I ad-libbed that in my in my talk. I That was not my an ending, but I looked up and in the back of the room, a venture capitalist friend of mine was sitting in the back of the room. I have a little bit of a chip on my shoulder with some of my VC friends because, you know, I'm like nice. I'm sweet to them. Then the stuff I do is like, oh, that's nice, Nancy. It's so good that you do that work. And I want to say, fuck you. I run real companies. Like we're based on code. Also, this is a tech startup, just like the other things that you fund. And so I saw him in the back of the room, and I thought, this is my shot to say what I'm really thinking. <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to say something from a stage in front of thousands of people than it is to say something one on one to someone. Um, so that was really for him. <laughs> and, and I'll just say, um, so in my work, I work as a product manager making software. So that resonated with me for sure. In this time that I'm taking away, I'm also thinking about my purpose and what's meaningful for me. What, what are the paths so that people might take more action to actually do more work in line with what you're doing, more purposeful work to, to help people with real meaningful problems? I do think... Um, People, when they think about the choices they make in happiness, they do think about, like, I should go to the gym more often and I should take sugar out of my diet and I should spend more time with my kids. And they should actually think about their work choice and their career choice more. You spend more time in the office and more time with your coworkers and you're going to spend with your family anyway. So make better choices. I, I, I think we're looking at the wrong things when we talk about happiness. Um, we should actually look at what we make, what our purpose is, like our core purpose, not our side hustle. Um, that's one. And then I think the onus is also on um, organizations and on social change things for us to um, be open to hiring those people and to thinking about technology and data more. Um, you know, you wouldn't have considered as a product manager working at like a suicide hotline 20 years ago because they were all just phone and it wasn't that interesting. Um, but you know, something like Crisis Techline is interesting to product managers and data scientists and machine learning engineers because we're doing really neat stuff. 
and they don't have to lower their standards or think, well, this will be easy and I'll just do this for a few years. We're working on some pretty challenging problems and a large data corpus, so it's exciting. And, and you had shared some stats. What are, what are the latest in terms of like numbers, in terms of like people you've helped and texts and things like that? So we've done about 1.2 million conversations. It took us about three and a half years to do our first million conversations. And it's going to take us more like 10 months to do our second million conversations. So we're growing very rapidly. Yeah, helping a lot of people. And you're nationwide right now. Do you have global aspirations? We do. We do. Um, so we're nationwide right now. We tend to skew young, poor, and rural without even trying. And so when you think about that, there are other parts in the world where there's no mental health care available at all. So we're launching this fall in the UK and Canada. Um, and my hope is really to do more like 20 countries in the next three years. So um, the stack will be built out of New York and um, they'll be on, on all of our, you know, we'll do all of that for them. Um, but it'll be in a franchise relationship with key partners in other countries. Very cool. Yeah. I want to also maybe give you an opportunity because I'm sure you like to, I actually have also been looking at what you've been doing on Twitter and I, I, I know you like to, to, to recognize people that you find doing meaningful work. Are there like shout outs you want to give or people that are top of mind for you that, that you really want to celebrate? Well, right before I walked in here, I had a two minute conversation with two entrepreneurs who created something called Good Call, which is a criminal justice organization. I think this is a really neat idea where um, when you get arrested and you get your one phone call, who do you call? Do you call your mom or your lawyer? It's a tough, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. And so this is good call. You make one phone call to their 1-800 number and they contact your family, your lawyer, all of that stuff in one place. So it's kind of like a scattershot um, branching phone call that pa patches everybody in, which is a really good idea. It also is a terrific data play because then they'll have information on when people get picked up and what happens. It'll all be in one place. So I'm, I like aggregating and anonymizing data sets to um, learn information. I think organizations, direct service providers, who are not just helping people one-on-one, -on -one, but are trying to do systems change work through data, that's exciting to me. That's massive change. And you're reminding me of a, of a data point that I think you shared, which as a middle-aged man was resonating with me. You were saying that middle-aged men are the most likely demographic to commit suicide, and I'm wondering if you, if you have any thoughts of why that is. Yeah, so you saw my tweet then after the Chester Bennington suicide where I was referencing um, both him, who the former frontman from Lincoln Park, and also um, Chris Cornell um, from Soundgarden and all of his other work. Um, and so those two have been very high profile, right, in just the last couple of months. But um, yeah, middle-aged men are the most likely to complete suicide, to complete attempts and die by suicide. Um, I think they have access to means and I think, look, we all know a middle-aged man who's depressed. We all do. And it's hard to talk to them about it. It's even harder for them to talk to us about it. They don't reach out for help. They don't have the language. They don't have the channels to do that. Uh, they don't go see doctors. I don't know when the last time was you had a physical, but middle-aged men just don't go, exactly, they don't go in for physicals. And even when they do, the doctor asks about all kinds of things except how you're feeling. They'll say how you're feeling, but they don't mean feeling feelings. They mean physically feeling. And so there's just no forum for men to talk about their mental health and it doesn't feel safe. So um, they've been texting us. We've had um, those numbers are growing for us. And um, I hope that if there are people listening who are in pain that they know that they can reach out. 
I, I was thinking about a framework that someone told me, H-A-L-T, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, it's hard to be happy. It's, it can be really disruptive. And when I was thinking about those things, um, so some of your earlier comments are resonating with me because I, I do try to eat healthy. I do meditate, so I try to take the edge off my anger. Um, and I do get pretty deliberate about my sleep routine, so I try to work on the tiredness. But I was realizing I was not doing much about the loneliness I was really busy. I was around people all the time, but I wasn't getting that connection. And, and one of the things that I've started doing is I've organized a group of other middle-aged guys. So we make a point to get together. I'm like, okay, it's not going to be too burdensome, but let's get together once a month for two hours. I think we can do this. And let's just talk about how we're doing and we can talk about our feelings and we're not going to judge each other. So we've had two meetings so far. That's terrific. I really hope that spreads. We need more men to create their own safe spaces and, and hang out. I mean, if you do it over beer, that's fine too. That's great. That's I'm so glad. I hope that spreads. Yeah, it's it's been it's been really fun, and I think everyone's been sort of feeling it out, like because I I know everyone, but they don't know each other, and and so we're just like, okay, well, what do we want to share, and how are we feeling? But it's so far so good. We're two meetings in. I'm I'm feeling optimistic. That's awesome. That's terrific. I think that's a really great idea. I hope that spreads. Yeah, and for me, what was funny is all it took was like, okay. Um, yeah, I pick this date and time. Can you go? Yes, or here's three dates, whatever. It's just like Great. some emails. Also, I saw that you um, were tweeting about some other some other people that, that were meaningful for you. Um, and I'll just start off by professing some ignorance and maybe you can educate me a bit because I'm sure there are other people who, who don't know much of the story. Um, so you were tweeting about Khalif Browder. Yeah, I, I tweet his name uh, couple times a week typically um, he's a young man who was arrested and um, never tried or convicted but was held um, on Rikers Island including in solitary for a very long time and um, refused to plead guilty because um, he claimed his innocence and um, eventually was let out but the whole thing was so traumatic he actually eventually did die by suicide um, shortly thereafter. And I just think it's such a tragic, tragic, um, broken criminal justice system and um, just pain example that um, I don't want him to be forgotten. And so it's just kind of my small part. I kind of keep him alive. Um, I never met him. I don't really have a connection to him. Um, but it just seemed like some small thing that I could do. So. I'm constantly tweeting his name, and I get things like this where people say, why are you tweeting that? And it gives me an opportunity to explain who he was. And um, and I think a lot of people see that and then Google him and read about him on Wikipedia, and hopefully there's growing awareness. Yeah, I was, I was reading a bit of his story this morning, and I'll have to say it was, I, I was feeling really wound up. It was, it was pretty tough. It's harrowing. It's it is a terrible. There was a, a story written about him by Jennifer Gonerman. That was the original story. Um, while he was in prison, she wrote it, and it's a very well written. She's a terrific journalist. Um, but yeah, it's it's a harrowing, harrowing story. And there's now a documentary also. Um, another person I saw you giving shoutouts to was was Sarah Lacey and talking about <laughs> Pando Daily. Yeah, I just I, I I'm just a fan girl. She's just she puts I. Uh, Look, I know what it's like to put yourself out there. Like nice, sweet people don't affect change. You have to be willing to take a risk. And 
But and, and so for, for people who are not familiar with her story, what's, what's, your, what's your take on her story? She, so Panda Daily is just one of the, the blogs and one of the journalism things out here in Silicon Valley. And she, but she has really been leading the charge on sexism and sexual harassment and just a lot of gender-based issues in tech. And um, boy, she takes a lot of shit for it. I mean, people say terrible things about her, but she is relentless. She does not stop. And I don't know. I just think that's incredibly brave. And uh, I'm a fan of brave people. Even if I, I don't always agree with them, I think the act of bravery is amazing. I would never skydive, but I think the people who do are like super brave. Yeah. What's, not, now I'm curious to ask, what's, what's the scariest thing you've done? Stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy is by far the scariest thing I've ever done. See how easy it was for me to answer that? People usually have to sit and, oh, let me think that one time I you know, jumped off a cliff. No, stand-up comedy. Stand-up comedy is so scary. It's it's one thing to just be be funny, but it's like, okay, you're going to stand on that stage. There's nothing but a microphone on the stage. You can't hide behind a podium or there's nothing. and Be funny. Just entertain us. And everyone in the crowd is like, all right, I don't, I don't think you're going to be that funny. Let's see what you got. Like, make me laugh. It's so hard. Did you get any laughs? I did. I did get laughs. Um, it was. I was so scared. I mean, like for the two days beforehand, I was so really. I was pacing. It was really. It was scary. But um, I did get laughs. Yeah, it was good. They my at least my friends and coworkers told me that I wasn't like the best, but um, but they said, yeah, you were good. It, it worked. That's awesome. Um, I know you're you're really busy. Is there anything else that I that I should have asked you about? Anything else that that's an important part of your story? I don't think so, but I'm so glad to learn about your, um, you know, your, I don't know, what do you call it? Your male gathering. What do you call it? Uh, right now, I'm calling it a men's support and social group. Oh, no, no, no. We need a better name for this. We need a cute name for this. Like, if you were women, it would be like a coven. I mean, like, what What are we going to, like a, I don't know. You need a, it's like a bear hug. What do you want to call I don't know. You need, I'm going to suggest the branding needs to be improved. Maybe if you get the branding right, it'll be even better. But this is a great idea. Thank you, thank you. One of one of my friends, in fact, the one who hosted last time, I know his his wife is big on branding, and so I might I might ask her for some thoughts because you, you're right, it's a mouthful and it's, it's there's no pop in that. Yeah, no, no, you need it needs it needs to sound enticing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we do we do have food. That's kind of enticing. Always good. That food is a great way to go. Do you have beer too? Um, so I don't I don't drink alcohol, yeah. but but it's been made available to people who wanted it. Yeah, I don't drink alcohol either. I don't know why I went to beer, ice cream, ice. But you you already said you eat healthy, so I don't know. I don't know. I I had ice cream twice yesterday, but that's unusual for me. Oh. Um, but yeah. but I think I think I would I would maybe go with with ice cream just to to you know soften it up. So I think it needs I need it needs a good it needs a good brand it needs a good title. Yep. Like if someone described you know ice cream as if the name for ice cream were. It's cold, dairy, churned, a lot. No one would eat it, but it's ice cream. That's a good name. Okay, I, I have a terrible name idea. Um, I want to go back to, we were talking about avocados. M- manocado? No. Why? What does it have to do with avocados? I, we could eat avocados, and I just like avocados. I just like an excuse to say avocado. Yeah, that's not going to work. Nope. <laughs> nope. See, see, like, you know, stand up and just making things up. It can be hard sometimes. It can be very hard sometimes, but good luck. <laughs> Thank you. Um, how can people contact you in Crisis Text Line? So crisistextline.org has all the information. Um, 
We're always looking for more volunteers. It's an application, a background check, and about a 34-hour online training that you can do from anywhere on your couch. And, and as I recall, one of the important things you're looking for from your volunteers, because you don't accept everyone, is you're looking for empathy. Yeah, we need amazing people. If you're somebody who cares about other people, we want you. I mean, this is, you're going to help strangers um, and without judgment. So you've just got to be a caring person who wants to help somebody move from hot to cool. Uh, it's an incredibly diverse group of people. Uh, they're, and they're, but they're amazing. I mean, there's, as the most, I've never been part of a posse before. And now I feel like I've got a posse that runs 3,500 deep. It's just, I would go to war with these people um, at my side. They're really, except they would just, you know, walk across the battlefield and hug everybody. Um, and that would be, that we would probably all be slaughtered. But whatever. The point is, is these are amazing, amazing people. That was the wrong metaphor. But they really are incredible. They're giving their time for free. Um, for it's, a, it's, it's challenging being a crisis counselor, but you get back so much more than you give. It's amazing. And, and for people in crisis, how do they reach out? It's uh, text us. It's crisis text line, and the number makes a line up the left-hand side of your phone, 741-741. Cool. Well, Nancy, thank you so much for your time today, and I wish you well with all your work. It sounds like it's really meaningful and purposeful, and I'm glad to hear it's giving you so much energy. Thanks for having me, and good luck, and I'm, I'm sorry for the loss. And um, happy to see you turn this into and channel this into something beautiful. Thank you. Thanks. How would you introduce yourself? What, what did I maybe not miss or something that, that's uh, important to, to say right up front? I'm wildly allergic to peppers. Jalapeno? All of them, red, yellow, green, chili. it's called capsaicin or a capsicum allergy. I'm, I'm basically allergic to like Mexico and Thailand. I can't not eat any of those foods. Yeah, no, I'm allergic to, I mean, chili oil, chili flakes, jalapeno. Bell pepper. Bell peppers, yeah, all of those peppers, just all the peppers. How about avocado? Love, like the more the better. Yeah. That's what I say. That's when I'm trying to figure out what to eat, it's usually like, well, what, what has avocado in it? It's fan- avocado is, and it comes in its own little wrapper. It's terrific. Yep. <laughs> Thank you for listening to my conversation with Nancy Loveland. Thanks to Nancy for being candid and spontaneous and talking about her life, her work, and her beliefs. I've included links in the show notes to her TED Talk, as well as Good Call, the New Yorker article about Khalif Browder, and Pando Daily. Special thanks to Omidyar Network for providing the conference room where I recorded this conversation with Nancy. I have an update on my men's support group. We've now met four times, and we have our fifth meeting scheduled for next month. We don't yet have a new name, though. I'd love to hear from you. If this episode touched you in some way, or if you know someone with an important story to share, please contact me. You can send a note, or even better for including on the show, a voice memo to ggsgpodcast at gmail.com. Include your name and phone number so I can follow up with you. Again, that's ggsgpodcast at gmail.com. Lastly, if you like the show, please tell a friend who might appreciate it. If you want to help even more people discover this show, please rate it, review it, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Go Go Stop Go was produced by me, Jay Badenhope. Music by Poddington Bear. 
take care of yourself. <laughs>